Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Jackie Robinson famously integrated Major League Baseball in 1947. He joined the National League's Brooklyn Dodgers that April. And the American League followed a few months later when the Cleveland Indians put Larry Doby into the lineup. But right behind Cleveland were the St. Louis Browns. Just 12 days later, the team fielded its first black player. And two days after that, it became the first team to put two black players into a game. It would take the St. Louis Cardinals another seven years to integrate. And here today to talk to us about that story is Ed Wheatley. He gives a talk on this subject this Thursday at the Maplewood Public Library. And his new book, Baseball in St. Louis, also deals with the topic. It comes out April 1st. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Glad to be back. Ed, you were telling me some East Coast sports writers had speculated that St. Louis was too Southern to put black players on the field, and yet the Browns jumped in right after Cleveland. Why was that? Well, I think that it's it's really a compliment to Bill DeWitt Sr., who uh, the father of the current Cardinal owner. He was the uh, general manager and was about to uh, assume ownership of the team, and he was looking for the best players possible. And, you know, just as the um, Dodgers had looked at the Kansas City Monarchs, he looked at uh, the Kansas City Monarchs and brought Willard Brown and Hank Thompson over to the Browns. This was from <clears> a, a Negro League team there Yeah, in Kansas the, the Kansas City. City Monarchs were a Negro League team. Uh, Larry Doby came from the uh, Newark Eagles. So what kind of reaction did these two black players get from St. Louis fans? You know, St. Louis always likes good baseball, but you also got to remember St. Louis, which is the irony of the whole thing, you know, the, the most southern uh, team in uh, Major League Baseball, along with the Cardinals, did this advance. And you know, it was it was a time where, you know, they were starting, the world had changed with World War II. We're, right, we're in post-World War II where blacks and whites had come together to work on the factories and on the war fronts. So it was, it was happening. It was evolving. So there was more. But that didn't mean there weren't still rednecks and people, you know, who were upset. But, you know, it was, it was a thing where Bill DeWitt looked at and said, look, I want good players. Here's two good players. Secondly, he reached out to say, We've got empty seats in Sportsman's Park, hmm. and we have a large African-American community here in St. Louis. We'll bring in some black players, and they will perhaps come to the games. And he did something different than was done in the others. He brought two because he felt it would be easier hmm. if there were they had someone together. And I remember Bill DeWitt Jr. telling me his dad said, you know, that's the reason I did it. And Bill Jr. was on the field that first day as a bat boy. And he says, you know, I looked out and I, I saw the two of them standing together in the left field. And he said, I thought that was nice. They had someone with each other they could talk. It didn't mean there was, you know, buddy, buddy. There was a time like that. But that was, you know, a cross. And that's the bad thing about this is that you know, nobody supports the St. Louis Browns. The Baltimore Orioles have nothing to do with this team. Mm-hmm. And these things of this team's history like this is one of the most important. Uh, this was in a our, proud moment. It's a proud moment in, in our society, and nobody really toots the horn, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what we try to do. It's bring back that history. Now, Willard Brown, he became the first black player to hit a home run in American League history. But I understand the team still released him in pretty short order. Uh, what happened there? Well, you know, yeah, Willard Brown hit an inside-the-park home run off Hal Newhouser of the Tigers. Uh, and, you know, Willard did not perform 
up to this uh, challenge. Willard had a, he had a different personality. I mean, there were times they would talk about he would be out in left field and he'd pull a Reader's Digest out and read it out during the games. Um, <laughs> is he just a, a he, laid back kind of guy? He was very laid back, but he was also somewhat of a, a, a chip on his shoulder hmm. uh, about the conditions in, in Major League Baseball. He felt he w- had, you know he was more of an equal and a better player in, in the Negro leagues. Um, you know, Hank Thompson came and he played well. You know, both of them hit above the, the Browns team average, but there was also, you got to remember the Browns financial situation. And there was a stipulation uh, that's been told that if they would have kept uh, these two gentlemen for the rest of the season and been on the roster the last day, they would have had to pay a very large amount of money to the Kansas City Monarchs, so they released mm. them both. And Hank Thompson went on to the New York Giants, the first man to segregate two teams. And he was or to world, integrate two teams. Uh, integrate, yeah, integrate two teams, and he was a World Series hero in two of their World Series. It's interesting. Thompson, uh, he was 21 when youngest, the Browns— Youngest man to— Youngest man to integrate. That must have been so much pressure for him. How did he hold up <clears> to that? Well, I think there was two parts to it, too. You know, both of these gentlemen were— in the military, you know, um, Willard Brown was at uh, Normandy, and um, so they, they were Thompson used to some had been in the pressure. Battle of the Bulge. So they had been through that. They had been through the competitive nature of um, Negro League baseball, and it was, uh, uh, you know, it was just hey, they were there to play baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, Hank performed much better than than Willard, um, you know, even though we talk about Willard's home run, but it was, uh, you know, and, and the thing of it is, Willard is inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame out of this, um, you know, mainly for his, his role in the Negro Leagues and the Caribbean Leagues. But it was, you know, you just got to think the immense pressure. And then Hank Thompson, his career, you know, every time he's the first African-American to face a black pitcher when he, when he faced Don Newcomb when he went to the Giants. You know, he's the first to play with, with two players here. In the, in the 54 um, World Series when uh, Don Mueller gets hurt, he moves to the outfield, forms the first all-black outfield. So, I mean, there is so much about this gentleman that he integrates two teams. And all these firsts, almost everything he does, yet he's forgotten. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of amazing. And, and part of what is also so interesting hearing you talk about all the first embodied in this one young man is it seems like there were just kind of a handful of teams that were integrating it first and, and then later this big groundswell. How long did it take for Major League Baseball to be truly integrated? Well, I mean, that's one of the things in all my talks. I always talk about, hey, you go back into fifth grade history and in eighth grade history, American history, you'd always hear about Boston being the cradle of democracy, the beacon on the hill. And was the Boston Red Sox. 1959 was the last team to integrate with Pumpsy Green. Hmm. So, I mean, here this, you know, you think the most southern city has two. Fifteen years later, the most liberal democratic seat in the world is the last. It took them the longest. Yes, it did. That And and what? why did it take them so long? Any theories on that? Well, Tom Yawkey, the owner... Uh, you know, baseball has come out now and taken away a few things. They've changed the name of the street outside uh, Fenway Park and some of the things inside because there were those who, you know, very, claim he was a very outspoken racist. Okay. And so, you know, those attitudes are judged now and looked at, and they're they're trying to rectify. So it, it was, some of it was the ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and but then you would say, well, how did the town of Boston – let it accept. I mean, because Boston's a rich baseball town. You know, why, mm-hmm. when everybody else is bringing forth uh, these these African American players, why was Boston last? And 
Let, let's go back to St. Louis for yeah. a moment. You know, the Cardinals, is, they didn't integrate till 1954. Seven what took years. them so long after the Browns had, had blazed this trail? Well, you know, the thing of it is, is that baseball did not quickly adapt. It was, mm-hmm. it was the Dodgers. Then it was Cleveland Indians. And it was the Browns and then the Giants. And, you know, after uh, uh, three years, the 47, 48, and 49 season, there was only 11 black players mm-hmm. out of, you know, the 16 teams that's, you know, do the math there. That's hundreds of playing opportunities, and there was only 11 players. So, you know, baseball did not react quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it was just the policies of the teams. Um, you know, and what had happened even before that, the tone had kind of been set by uh, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was the commissioner. He was a, a very much against the integration of baseball, and then he had died. Uh, in late 1944, and that's when things started moving. The Dodgers signed Jackie Robinson in 1946, sent him to Montreal uh, to be prepared to come up so that when he come in, he uh, he was ready. He wasn't going to fail. Mm-hmm. And the irony of it was the man Branch Rickey sent was his right-hand man, George Sisler, a former Brown. Uh, he's the one who mentored Jackie in Montreal and got him ready to come in so he wouldn't fail. And the other thing was uh, he, he, the manager of the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers was the former uh, Browns catcher when Branch Rickey was here. So there's all these Brown The Browns have so many connections to this. And then this. you can throw in Bill Veck when he signed um, uh, Larry Doby, and then he would sign Satchel Page and that. He would come to the Browns, and he would bring Satchel Paige to the Browns with him in 1951. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I feel like Satchel Paige, mm-hmm. such a superstar, and he did have this stint with the Browns. How did that go? Well, it did. I mean, here, here's a guy in his late 40s, and he makes two all-star team appearances for the Browns. I mean, uh, Satchel is, by many people's view, the greatest pitcher of all time. He was just phenomenal. And we actually just had our, our roundtable Saturday. I mean, and Ed Mickelson. This is for the, the St. Louis, St. Louis Browns, Browns historical site. And Ed Mickelson, uh, uh, one of our living former players, was just like telling Satchel Page of stories because the, the guy, you know, he could do anything. And the thing of it was, people forget, we're talking 1952 and 53. In 1965, he made a comeback under Charlie Finley of the Athletics in Kansas City and pitched three shutout innings of one hit ball, and the only guy who got a hit was Carl Yastrzemski, who happened to... And, and sorry, how old was he at this point when he made this comeback? in his late 50s. In his late 50s. <laughs> yeah. I feel like none of us have any excuse no, in light no, of that. That's a, I mean, that's amazing. You just need to go read some Satchel Page. He's got his life stories, how to stay young and uh, vigorous. Well, so Ed, in addition to all the work that you've done to remember the history of the Browns and, and mm-hmm. promote that legacy here, you're currently working to promote the history of black baseball stars in St. Louis as a whole. Correct. Uh, why is that work important to you? Well, it's, one, it's it's history. It's it's a forgotten history. It's an area that hasn't really been tapped well. Uh, I mean, there's just so much rich history of how the the African American experience in baseball was is great and strong. We had the Tandy leagues up in North St. Louis, which were kind of the amateur, the semi pro leagues, that were uh, uh, kind of like the minor leagues to the the Negro leagues, and then we had such great history of the Negro Leagues with the St. Louis Giants that then became the stars. Uh, They won three world championships. Every time you drive down to Bush Stadium and you drive down Highway 40, 64, and you cross Compton, you see Harris Stowe College right next to Chaffetz, and that that's the field. That was Stars Park right there, and that, you know, we still play baseball out on that field, and uh, on April, Saturday, April 25th, we're going to have a, a big ceremony marking the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues down at uh, the Harris Stowe 
Park as part of their doubleheader. The team will be playing, and we got some ceremonies that we'll be doing. The Browns as historical society. Well, it's is the a Brown, part of that. Part of that this, our St. Louis Saber organization is part of it, and the uh, Negro Baseball League Museum in Kansas City is a part of it. So we're all coming together to uh, remember this experience because it's 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 something that you know I think our African American community don't realize this history. Mm-hmm. They are not really playing baseball as much as other uh, ethnic groups. And it's something that we want to work towards uh, not forgetting, just as the Browns are, are forgotten, you know, the Stars, the Giants, all these pieces of history are, are, are forgotten. Well, author Ed Wheatley, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and for that work you're doing to remember that important thank history. You. Thank you. Um, Ed's new book comes out April 1st. It's called Baseball in St. Louis, and his talk at the Maplewood Public Library on the integration of the St. Louis Browns team, it's free and opens to the public. It's this Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30. And we have a quick reminder, in addition to listening to St. Louis on the Air on the radio or through our podcast, you can also connect with our production team on Facebook. Search for St. Louis on the Air there and request to join that group. We get a lot of good story ideas from there and and promote what's coming up next. So um, please join us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.